and welcome to Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond, hosted by Mark Kaler. My name is Penka Jane, podcast deckhand and longtime listener. We'd thank you to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a review. Here's today's catch. Hello guys and welcome back to another installment of Galley Stories, stories of the Bering Sea and beyond. I am your host Mark Kaler. And once again, we are still out here on the East Coast at the current time of recording this, and I've got a very good friend of mine with me, uh, deckhand Jesse Roach. Jesse, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me, and welcome to the North Shore of Massachusetts. Well, hey, thanks for setting up a lot of these interviews for us. You know, uh, we're, we're, looks like we're going to have quite a few to knock out, but uh, I definitely wanted to get, get your story and get going. You've been an avid listener for a long time, so you mm-hmm. know exactly what I'm going to ask, so why don't you just dive in? Sure. Um, well, I was born actually not too far from here in Nashua, New Hampshire, and um, my father was an environmental scientist and focused in the marine uh, studies. So I was always on the coast, whether it would be up on Lake Ontario when I was real young and uh, right down to the Connecticut shoreline to Long Island Sound, and I'd go out on boats with him and had a sailboat growing up. And instead of going to places like Disney World, we'd go to natural places like the Minnesota Boundary Waters and end up 100 miles from civilization, canoeing and, and fishing. So it's just always kind of been in me. And then from there, I took it to the sports fishing world with uh, kayak fishing with Hobie and Ocean Kayak. And I had some sponsorships with them and uh, ended up in radio for about 10 years doing music radio. And then I decided, well, this is getting kind of old and I asked the, the general management if I could uh, delve into a fishing radio show, and they agreed, and I ended up getting some advertisers, so that show went on for a while. And then uh, through there, I had guests on, uh, some of which off Discovery Channel's Deadliest Catch. And um, I think like a lot of East Coast guys who weren't familiar with with the West and how that all worked, we we saw the show and we're like, wow, you know, some of us think we could do that. And um, on my radio show, I ended up having some guests. Uh, Josh Harris was the first guest I had that was off Deadliest Catch fame. And and I had nudged him a little bit about, oh, you know, I think I could do that. And he just kind of laughed at me and said, you know, there's guys that can't even handle Alaska in the summertime. And I'm, I'm thinking in my head, well, who's this guy think he is, you know? So, but uh, a good guy, you know, we maintained the friendship uh, online after that. But then it wasn't until uh, Nick Tokman, who is actually, we'll hear from him on your show as well. And uh, he spent some time on the saga in the Northwestern with Sig. And, and uh, he ended up, he actually lives kind of local to me. He's from Springfield, Massachusetts. So I had him on my radio show. Well, he thought, heck, I could do it all. He's like, oh, yeah, I know you could do it. So I said, hey, that sounds great. And um, be, prior to that, I, you know, I was a single father uh, since my son was 11. And when he turned 18 and he got himself going and things in life, the tree work, and and he got his feet off the ground. So it kind of gave me a green light to actually go ahead out west and, and jump on a boat. So Nick Tokman put me in touch with a, a, a highliner Dungeness crab guy out of Eureka, California, Patty Davis, who runs the Cynthia, he also owns the Miss Jessie. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, I'll give you a shot. So I ended up heading out west and had all the money I had and, and uh, ended up going into gear work for Patty Davis and and um, learned quite a bit right off the bat. Got yelled at quite a bit right off the bat. 
<laughs> and um, and from there, I ended up doing the Southern opener on the Miss Jessie and uh, with the captain he had hired under contract to run his boat. And that went pretty well. And then I ended up on Patty's boat and, and we were really hitting the crab hard. And, and I think that taught me the guideline of, of the speed and, and what's expected in a successful boat operation. And then that really, really helped me along. Um, so about March, the crab started clutching and um, I actually, I had a heart attack. Luckily I was on land for that. And um, so I ended up, you know, uh, sitting out the rest of that spring and, and handling that. And then the doctors cleared me to fish again. And uh, Patty had gotten someone else. Before you go too far there, mm -hmm. uh, so this was your first commercial fishing experience? Correct. At, 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 40, at what age? 41. 41. And a heart attack at 41. Yeah, well, that I was in disbelief. You know, I... I, I I thought I had indigestion. It's not like on TV where someone's keeling over and grabbing their heart and all that. I thought I had indigestion. So I went for a walk around Eureka and uh, it didn't get better. And then I realized, well, you know, I had sushi the day before and uh, maybe I got food poisoning from the sushi. So I go to the local hospital and I think, yeah, I think I have food poisoning. So they take an EKG, nothing. Then they take my blood and all of a sudden they started freaking out. They were like, oh my God, you're you're having a major heart attack. And I'm laughing at him. I'm like, oh, come on. Yeah, I, I don't even feel bad at this point. But it turns out, yeah, my left coronary artery was 99% blocked and they gave me a stent. And it turns out it was hereditary cholesterol because no one could really figure it out. I mean, I'm in shape, commercial fishing, I eat right. So it was a weird thing. And I think that kind of made Patty a little leery about taking me back. But luckily the first captain, uh, Philip Anthony, who I was on on the Miss Jessie, uh, he liked you know my attitude and, and liked my work and and um, he invited me up to Bristol Bay. So Patty ended up getting a new guy and, and that was fine. And, and then that spring I ended up finishing uh, the season on the Gracia out of Crescent City under Mike Costello. My friend Cole, a uh, friend of mine, uh, got me on. He's taken care of me, made, looked out for me. And basically my first year I went from 5% bait to 13% uh, two-man rail um and so it was a pretty good start for me i've been lucky in the boats i've 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 gotten on um but yeah so i wrapped up the springtime with him and made my way up to bristol bay uh with philip anthony on the eager beaver uh, the trident fishing boat so we we, we saw them and and uh i gotta say the first the first season was real frustrating you know learning you know it's one thing to stack pots and bait jars but once you get in the gill net and you know there's a little more skill set involved and, and you're starting to see pull outs and back outs and pull throughs and baskets and and man I you know I'm just trying to go as fast as I can and it was well, now you stated all those things let's explain those things yeah okay so um, when you're pulling in the, the net um, you'll see a fish that you know if its head sticking out um, or it looks like it's an easy grab from the head you basically grab over the top of the head and you have a pick and you basically slide the net hopefully without breaking meshes um, slide the fish through other times they're a back out which you'll kind of jam your fingers up under the gills and flip the net out that way it's kind of like a popping motion and you pop the fish down on deck and then you get the ones that mess everyone up the baskets where you just kind of have to figure it out and 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 whatnot and um, so I think I'm still learning, you know, I'm, I'm 
I'm going into my third year, and uh, the second year was much less frustrating. It was actually fun because I actually had a grasp on the the skill set and, and the technique to actually pulling the fish out of the net. So it, it got a lot more fun. I was also uh, shoved up to the position of deck boss. So that was interesting too because here I am learning and now I've got to make someone else think that I know enough to teach them. So And, and I think I, I did in the respect of safety and, and general idea and the kid we brought on as a Puget Sound gill netter, which is much different ball game, much deeper net, but he did pretty well for his first year. So, you know, um, it was pretty good. You know, I've had a great experience so far and um, looking forward to, to some more of that. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll get some Dungey back on too. Um, another thing I guess I skipped over, I had shoulder surgery after the Dungey fishing. Um, so this was last winter, February, I had the shoulder surgery and I was right back up in Bristol Bay May for May 4th getting ready for the season and healed up fairly quickly from that. So yeah, pretty happy that went the way it did. Mm -hmm. And then after Bristol Bay, you run back out to the East coast. Yeah. So, you know, I haven't seen my family in a while. Um, <clears throat> and then coincidentally too, my son, um, who I brought up in the beginning, he went into the tree stuff and then he figured, well, he should get into fishing too. So, um, while I was, getting ready for this Bristol Bay season, um, uh, Josh, uh, captain of the handler, um, crab boat. A big crab boat. Yeah. Good, good captain. Great crew. They said, well, we need a guy for the, for boatyard, you know, paint and chip and, you know, fun stuff like that. So I called my son back in Connecticut. And at the time I was in Washington and I said, well, pack your bags. We're going to get you on a flight tomorrow. And and you're going to be working on the boatyard in Anacortes tomorrow. And, and he did, and that impressed Josh. So um, he went and got himself a seining gig in southeast uh, Alaska this past season, which was a hu huge weight off my shoulders because my first year Bristol Bay fishing, you know, I'm just constantly thinking about my son causing trouble and getting in trouble with his friends back home, you know, his hometown stuff. And you don't really go too far too fast. So uh, the first year was pretty frustrating. Um, wondering if he was okay, but this year that I knew he was fishing, he was on a boat that Josh trusted the captain and trusted the the boat, so made me feel pretty good about it and pretty good that he liked it and and kind of wanted to continue the path that I'm paving at my old age. So um, I'm sure he'll get a lot more out of the whole fishing industry than I will just based on his age. But um, he's 19 now. 20, just turned 20. 20. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, I made my way back here, um, met him back in Seattle. We did a little West Coast trip fishing around Yellowstone and whatnot. And then I made my way back here to the East Coast. And I wasn't expecting to be here doing much at all. I was, it was basically just a visit and head back West and going to get into Puget Sound gill netting. And then I got a call uh, from a buddy who needed a replacement on a lobster boat up here with uh, with Paul Terriol, who's he's a pretty good lobster guy too he's 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 a hustler so it was nice to get on a boat with a guy who wanted to work hard and get things done and it kept me prepped um to go back west and work hard too so yeah i did about three weeks um hauling long line lobster pots and and uh that was a great experience and and made some friends here and and uh an open invite to come back and work so it's always nice to get you know have that going for you when you have opportunities down the road into the future
So at the young age of 41, had the greenhorn. <laughs> yes. And then and then now at the, uh, of course, adjusted age of 44 then? Yeah, 44, yeah. Um, we've done dungies, mm-hmm. salmon, mm-hmm. and Bristol Bay. Yep. Um, and, uh, and lobsters. And lobsters, yep. Mm-hmm. And now I am... Uh, now, uh, gone into a Puget Sound permit for gill netting Puget Sound, which I will be running a boat in a fishery I know nothing about, and uh, with my son who has never gill netted before. So I've got a lot to prove. I got a lot of work ahead of me, and I have a lot to teach my son about work ethic and about um, the way it goes in fishing and 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 um, the veracity and and the will to just keep putting fish on board. I, I think that you might have some kind of a bug because um, as long as I've known you every post on your Facebook page is either on the back deck of a boat <laughs> or with your feet up in a kayak with a fishing pole in your hand yeah and I don't think you could pass a mud puddle without wanting to fish in it no you know and I for me I, I think um, I like being on the water more than I like land and fishing helps the water be less boring <laughs> I guess um, I, I love fishing. Um, it always creates an opportunity for possibility. And one thing I've learned about fishing, you never know. Um, so it can be a day where I'm thinking, well, I'm not going to go catch anything. The sun's beating down. Water's not really moving and, you know, no great fishing reports. But I've gone out there on days like that and, and pulled up uh, state records. You know, I've, I've, I've pulled up some pretty big fish. So I'm always excited to go out there. Um you know, it's like going to the casino and pulling the slot machine, but you don't lose money doing Well, you do lose money fishing. I should, shouldn't say you don't, but um, yeah. So it's a great release for me to, to get out there and to be on the water and to experience it. And then to study habits. I love, uh, whether it be commercial or sports fishing, I love to try to understand the science behind it, what the fish are thinking, the strategies, Um it really makes it much more interesting to me. And then especially at my age, um, it's going to be important for me to find a wheelhouse. You know, my body is only going to last so long. And, and, um, and what I found in this industry, um, in the short time I've been in it, that is if you have your head on straight and you don't really have a drug problem and, and court dates and you have a vehicle and a license and, and a good work ethic, people kind of want you. And um, I think the captains will agree with my attitude on deck. I, I try to stay real positive. Um, I think it, it can become a cancer when, when someone has a bad attitude and then it carries on to the new guy. And then it starts to weigh in on your weight of the fish you're catching. And, um, you know, that can stream right to the captain, you know, um, to really take the wind out of everyone's sails. So I think that's been a, a, a good point, a strong point for me getting hired on boats is, is, um, is to try to maintain that in the focus and, and to uh, always see the big picture and not really worry about the little mundane things because that's what land is for, I think. Most, <laughs> most guys are not going to go up to Bristol Bay um, 50 days before the first opener and work on a boat hmm. because there's no pay in that. No. So that shows something about it. Well, yeah, I mean, if you don't have a boat, you don't have a fishing season. And um, I have a relationship with with the captain where he's my friend, you know. Um, 
it's not just a guy who's paying me, a guy who's invited me up to go fishing. I mean, he's my friend, and um, you know, he'll always say that you know, it's it, everyone's a free agent, like you know, and and you know, I people try to poach me here and there to jump on their boats, and you know, and there's enticing things, these highliners with the D permit, and and that's not. I mean, we're on a two-man deck with no D, and we still hold our own. If you put us against other boats with no D and a two-man deck, I, I think we do pretty good. And I think we have a bright future ahead of us, um, whether it be myself obtaining a D so we can get more net on the boat, um, maybe leasing one somewhere down the line. But I'd like to get the same guys coming back um, along with myself and to develop something, maybe upgrade his boat um, and to stay with him. I mean, to me, fishing's a job, but... You know, it's also the camaraderie, um, the friendship, and the bonds that you make. Uh, they're important, and and I think you can roll the dice to try to find another a boat, but that's hard to do too. I mean, you if, you know, it, it, there's a saying like, "Don't leave fish to find fish." You know, you know what you have, you know what you're working with, and with this situation, now that I am deck boss, I think it it creates my own destiny. Um, and if we can do that as a team and, and uh, make some more money and and make some more progress together as fishermen, you know, that that's a win for me. You know, the way my friends are taken care of and, and I'm taken care of and, uh, and we make a good name for ourselves. I mean, the yard we're in is just some big names in the yard we're in, you know, um, Arnsteads and Ludwigs and some really some guys who know how to put fish on a boat and we're we're just surrounded by mavericks and 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 when you see that and it really motivates you to to not just jump on one of those boats but to make the boat i'm on like that and and i think that you know that's important i think it's important and uh i i wouldn't want to be known as a boat jumper either you know i i like to to build something and then come back the following season and, and build on it some more, you know, and uh, I think it makes things better for everyone all the way around. Speaking of building on it, uh, let's just take a chance real quick to uh, ask our listeners to share, like, and subscribe to the podcast, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Galley Stories, you know, it's great. Um, it's a motivator, especially if you would like to get into the industry the guests that I've heard are just a wealth of information and, and kind of help you understand what it takes. I mean, I just kind of jumped in on it. I had a little help because I, I knew some people through radio. But at the end of the day, it's all about showing up. And uh, I think with the guests that you have, it, it really gives a great example of, of what to expect. More so if you watch the TV show, of all, you know, whether it be Wicked Tuna or Deadliest Catch or any of these, even on Netflix, I think it gives you a, a window into the world, but it's more the glorified part of it. Um, you know, your stories that you have on this program, I mean, it, you, you get the full story and the hardships and, and the good times. So I think that's important, especially for people who want to get involved with the, with the industry to get a real eye on what's going on. So with that said, the best way to support us is to subscribe to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And uh, if possible, leave a comment, even on, on iTunes as an example. Um, sure. Really helps grow. Um, but anyway, on to uh, the next portion. Um, when you first started going out, mm -hmm. obviously 41, uh, heart attack probably scared you a little bit. But Oh, I was in, I think I'm still in disbelief. <laughs> let's, let's, let's talk about the first time that you were scared out on a commercial boat. Yeah, yeah. 
The first time I was well, going through the bars in Eureka in, in Humboldt Bar is, is an experience in itself. Um, I think I defer some of that fear to the captain that I chose to get on with. Um, the guy's been doing it for so long, and and I kind of I think. If you do get scared in those seas, I, I think I kind of defer to the fact, well, this guy knows what he's doing. He's been doing it for 30 years, and he's still alive. And I think that helps with the fear. As far as the biggest fear I've ever had was Bristol Bay two summers ago. Um, now My now roommate and uh, a, a deck a fellow deckhand and uh, a friend of mine was on a boat. Um, we were up in the Noosh, and this was the summer before this one, 2000. Uh, yep, Nooshigak. Um in Bristol Bay, and, and it was the season before this. And uh, we were fishing, you know, another day in the office, a little nautical that day, you know. And, and the summer before this one, I mean, it was a treat this past summer. The summer before was just blowing and 40-mile-an-hour winds and waves and chop, and it was an ugly summer. Um, but we got a call on the radio that uh, my buddy Cole's boat was, was gone, you know, and an EPIRB was going off. And we're thinking, oh, man, uh, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going on? We we tried to stay optimistic, and um, and and then no, we heard people on the radio calling to them, Coast Guard calling to them, Coast Guard asking us what was going on, and no one heard from them. And then we saw the C-130 fly over, and usually when that happens, you know things are at a pretty bad point, and and you know I thought I'd lost my friend, so that was tough. I mean the whole boat was shook, and. Um, well, the happy ending to the story was that uh, apparently their their plotter had a uh, EPIRB feature on it. So in the rough weather, the whole plotter had fallen over and the EPIRB button had been hit in the process. So their actual EPIRB that's on the hull or on the house of the boat didn't actually get knocked off. It was, it was the transponder on the plotter. Um, and they came back on the radio like, what's going on, guys? Uh, we were ready to wring their necks. I mean, man, we all had tears in our eyes. And and I think, to me, that was the scariest time I've ever had fishing. I mean, I've had scary times with lines flying across and, you know, jumping out of a bite and, and you know, an errant wave washing over the, the wall. Um and, and there's an element of being scared there. But the choice you make to go out there, I mean, you kind of make your peace every time you go out, you know. And that's what fishing taught me. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'd skip the I love yous and the, you know, quick message back to friends and family and whatnot. But after seeing, from my very first season, there's always been a loss. You know, when I was Dungeness Crabbing, a guy that uh, actually taught me some knots at the boatyard, um... You know, it was a Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, we were we were coming in, and they were heading out. And we waved to them as they went by, and, and ten minutes later, he was gone. You know, two of them went over the, the the stack fell over, and one guy was lucky enough to grab a buoy, and and uh, my buddy there, he, he went over, and, and he was never seen again. The sea really doesn't give too many people back. And then after that, you know, Bristol Bay, you know, another one and here and there. I mean, it's so I feel like it's something that we accept it. And then um, but it really helped me to convey, I think, to loved ones how I feel, um, because I don't think I really was like that prior. And then once you see what's going on out there and, and 
makes you think, you know. Um, and then I also took some of that safety stuff back to sports fishing. Now in the kayak, I, I wear a VHF radio. I always have a, a life jacket on. Um, and it's ironic because in the commercial industry, I've never worn a life jacket. Um, and I don't know any boats surrounding me that do. And, and it surprises me. But being that I haven't been in the industry for 10 years or whatever, I ask, well, why, why aren't we wearing these? They say, oh, well, you know, if you're gill netting, it gets caught. And, you know, the little pieces, even the horseshoes you wear over, you know, stuff gets caught on things. Or I've heard it all from uncomfortable to dangerous. So I kind of just go with the status quo of the boat. And I don't know, I think deep down inside, I, I think wearing one would be good. But uh, I guess that realization hasn't hit me enough yet to really put one on. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really not sure why that is in the commercial industry where it's so emphasized in the sports and recreational industry. And, and I even try to lead by example in that respect, because I know there's a lot of kids that want to go out on a kayak and it's obviously easier to go do that than it is to be commercial fishing. So I think that's more immediate, um, for the kids to see and people getting into fishing to see is the safety aspect of it. Um, especially, you know, Long Island Sound where I'm from, um, it's like a mini version of Bristol Bay. And what I mean by that is the tide is constantly ripping one way or the other. There is no float around, you know, easy water. It, it's You're ripping a few knots one way or a few knots the other. And, and Long Island sounds a lot like that because we are kind of an estuary from the Atlantic Ocean. And uh, so a lot of the guys going out in Long Island Sound to fish for striped bass and, and that kind of stuff, they won't pay attention to certain things like a north wind wind versus tide, full moon tides. I mean, there's a lot of safety aspects in the recreational world that uh, we're way more in tune to and trying to convey to new anglers um, on that level. Mm -hmm. So, um, well, Tides are a huge deal in Bristol Bay. Huge. You sometimes you can't go to a river because of the tides. You can't get into the river. Oh, it, it, yeah. Especially, you know, there's places in the Nushigak and, and whatnot too where there'll be sandbars that are miles long. Like you literally have to go all the way out into the bay to turn around to get to the other side to get to Anchorage. So you do, you make your choices, you know, where you are. When we're, if you're on fish, then you kind of have to resign to the fact that <laughs> it's going to take you a while to get out of there if you if you do. And, you know, and I've heard stories in Bristol Bay, you know, um, because it's not like it's mappable. I mean, the water is chocolate milk and, and the sandbars move constantly. So it, it's not a place where you can just rely on your Navionics or rely on your charts. I mean, you can get a general idea and you follow your track lines. But, you know, my captains told me stories about being up on a swell and seeing dry sand underneath it and wondering if the boat's going to make it to the bottom. And luckily water will fill in and, and you know, we've bellied up. Um, you know, I've put some dings in the prop myself you know um definitely guilty of that but y you got 20 year guys that are bumping in the sand so yeah it's it's a tricky area um and a lot of that is in a miniature way or a far reduced way in long island sound is like that as well with sandbars and and the moving water where it's constantly moving so um it's relatable in that respect but and it, uh, and it moves quick i mean oh it's really fast yeah if you go over in Bristol Bay, it's going to be real hard to get you back. You know, I, mean, I realize our boats are only 32 feet long, and some are even jet boats. But at that rate of speed, and then with the 
churning in the sand. You can fill up with debris and sand and and your boots can become weights in a very quick heartbeat. Very very quick. I would liken the tide to uh, taking a very quick deep breath and exhaling really quick. That's kind of how those tides move. Mm-hmm. Versus a regular standard breathing, you know, just that quick. They move so quick that. Yeah, it, it's it's really hard to describe to someone who hasn't seen it. Um, and there there it's a lot of water. I mean, you're looking at 16 foot up and downs. Um, like here on the East Coast, I was asking the captain about it. You know, it's like back there we have a a big small a big and small high tide. That's not the case here. Um, maybe if you go up towards like Newfoundland, I understand there's really big tides north of Maine. You know, even Maine has some pretty big tides. But um, yeah, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it's a big reason why once we launch, we don't go back to shore. You know, we don't dock. We don't, there is no slips. You know, you're, once you launch, that's it. You're tying up to tenders and offloading, getting your fuel, water, and food, and right back to it. You know, there, there's there's no safe place to belly up too much in, in there unless you're going back to the cannery, you know, back back up river. You know, we don't really like to go that far. We want to be ready for the next opener as openers are whenever they like to place them usually, you know. <laughs> All right then, Jesse, how about some of the some of the good times that you've had out there? Yeah, I mean I I've had I've been real lucky. Um every boat I've gotten on has been a good boat with a good crew and a good captain. Um but yeah, I think the highlights were uh out with Patty Davis uh, on the Cynthia, and um, he, like I said, he has been at it for a long time in this industry. He'd be a great interview too for the podcast. Um, but yeah, uh, we put on. He said as many crab as he's ever had in his boat at once, and we probably had like thirty-three thousand pounds on that boat within the first twenty hours of the opener. I mean, we we were flipping. I mean, bridal full pots on beach gear so we could do it real fast and we would just repeat strings until we stopped seeing crab and and that was a great moment to know that I was on the boat with a guy who'd been at it for so long and to be there at that moment where he had the most crab he had ever had on his boat where we actually had to get three different buyers to to take all of our crab you know and, and that was that was a great experience for me to see that success uh, pretty immediately and then um, following up to that, back on with Philip Anthony um, in Bristol Bay, and uh, that was my first year there, and he had his personal best, the most fish he had ever had on his boat. Uh, no D, two-man deck. You know, he, of course, he jumped down off the flybridge and helped pick two, but, you know, um, and then at the end of the season, it was just me and him who lost a guy around the 20th of July, and we put on 36,000 pounds ourselves. And, uh, yeah, and he had his personal best. And um, that made me feel real good that I could be a part of that and um, and see that through for him, you know, um, because it's really good. I, I think it's great to see your captain come through with, with uh, a good year, especially they've been taking care of you because I've never been ripped off or, you know, promised money I never got. And, and heck, I'm, I'm pretty much a 20%, 10% around this boat. You know, I, I don't get stuff taken off, you know. Um, so I, I'm real fortunate. And to see those victories, I think, to me, thus far, has been uh, a couple of the greatest moments that I've, I've seen out there. Um, 
yeah. So, and I'm looking forward to another one now running my own boat with my kid and, and I'm really hoping we can make a notch in that fishery and, and get some great moments there too. And especially fishing with my son. I mean, that, that's something really cool and, uh, something I thought was going to take a lot longer to have happen. So I think that's going to also be when we first launch and, and get out there in Puget Sound together. I, I think that's going to be another great moment, um, coming up. So yeah, yeah. I've seen some pretty cool stuff, uh, and, and then I, I also love, I, I think some great stuff that I see out there is the biodiversity, you know, coming from growing up, my dad being in the marine sciences and, you know, going out and seeing all the wildlife. I mean, I haven't seen more wildlife in my entire life than fishing. You know, I've seen the entire North California coastline and just about every sea critter you can see out there. And, and, um, and in Alaska, I've been blessed to, I mean, I saw Wolverine while I was sports fishing up there and, and just to see the things you see that 90% of Americans or people around the world, they, they don't see this stuff. And, and I think to really enjoy that moment while you're out there too, and realize that you're doing something that what 0.003% of the world does. And, uh, there's something to that. There's a lot of pride in that. And um, clearly you got your passion from those, uh, non Disneyland trips out going a hundred miles out in the river with your dad. Yeah. Do you think your son gets that from you too? Uh, you know, I think so. I'd like to think so. I mean, he's, he's a go-getter. He wants to prove himself and he's always trying to, uh, impress and work really hard. And, and I think, I hope he saw that work ethic coming from me. Um, the enjoyment he definitely gets i mean he did southeast alaska this year and it blew his mind the things he saw he never in in fact he's waiting for me right now to to go pick him up and head back west because he can't wait to jump on another boat and and um he doesn't have the sports fishing in me or in him like i do um but he definitely has the wanderlust and and the going out there and working hard and being successful and and he's really taken to the ocean um you know, not never got really seasick and, and really adjusted to the big waves and that he saw while he was out there. And, and um, he's excited to go get some more. And, and, and if that excitement comes from me, then then I'm, I'm happy he got that for sure. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Well, you spoke briefly about <clears throat> where your immediate future is going to be going for, for fishing. Sure. Where do you want it to go? Where do you see yourself going? Well... Yeah, I'm open. I'm I'm really really open. I may end up in Florida stone crabbing next next winter. Um, I've gotten offers from that. I seem to get offers where I go too to jump on boats. I'd love to do the the pull pulling uh, the uh, the albacore out west too. That looks like a lot of fun. The albacore fishing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I I leave it open. It's all open ended for me. Um, Bristol Bay is definitely in my schedule. Um, it's not going to stop that one fishery. I know, uh, I'm trying to really move forward with this boat with, with the progress we've made and, and, uh, I want to develop that and, and the captain is, is happy to have me back. And as long as that's going on, I, I think that's a good thing. The Puget Sound, uh, fishing, I think will also be something, uh, you know, buying into a permit and, and a boat. And, and, um, like I said, it, it is a new fishery for me. I don't, I understand the concepts of obviously and, and the 
district lines and all that fun stuff. But um, it's something totally new for me, and, and I think if I can get out there and my kid can get out there, and, and I think that's something we'll be a repeat customer on as well. Um, the Dungeness Crab I'd like to do. You know, I'd like to keep doing it. At my age, I really have to be conscientious about my moves. Um, you know, coming off the shoulder surgery, feel pretty good now. You know, after the surgery, did Bristol Bay and did the lobstering, and it, it seemed pretty good. So um, I think, you know, I'm definitely going to try to hit the Northern Opener for California this year for Dungies as well. Um, but, yeah, whatever sticks. You know, it's like throwing spaghetti up on the wall and, and, and seeing what sticks. And uh, the boats that I've seen and been on so far, you know, um, I would never mind returning to them again in those captains because they were they were good to me and, and we had a successful time out there and um, so yeah you know I kind of leave it open ended uh, other than Bristol Bay which I definitely know is on the table. What about <clears throat> you've heard it, me ask it all the time uh, advice for young guys coming in obviously you support it you're encouraging your son to do so yes but um, what's your advice for someone that doesn't have a father that has connections. Well, um, you just got to go do it. You know, being from the East Coast and, and what we saw on TV and, and this and that, it seems so impossible because we don't know what ports to go to. We don't know um, which docks to walk. We, we don't even know about dock walking. We, I mean, maybe for out here you do, but to put yourself in a vehicle or an airplane, go to Washington, Oregon, California, and to uh put yourself out there it's it's a big deal but nothing's going to come to you by waiting for something to happen for you so if you're like a kid and and maybe you didn't go to college maybe you're just doing trades or maybe you're just you know you're working check to check in a small town somewhere well you got to make a commitment to yourself to to break out of that bubble and to go see it for yourself. So if you can save enough money and pack up your car and not be afraid to sleep in your car and um, beat beat on doors and dock walking and 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 um and make yourself known that you want to work hard. And and I think a lot of that comes from uh, don't don't think that you know you let's say you get hired. But you start off doing gear work, which isn't a paid part of the job. But you have to show that veracity and the intent and the will to go fast from that point on. So what you do in the, even the boatyard working on gear, it'll show a lot to the, to the skippers. Um, it helps to learn knots, obviously. Learn a half hitch of clove and bowling and, and try to have some of those under your belt. And the splicing will probably come as you go. But... You just got to go, just got to go and get there. And I know there's a lot of sites that, you know, you can post on Facebook, oh, I'm looking for a job doing this, that, and the other thing. But that doesn't really show a captain anything. Like my son, um, I may have had an in for him, but he was the only one that could put himself in a plane in Hartford, Connecticut, fly into Seattle and not even knowing what he's doing and then take a taxi to Anacortes and and walk into a situation he knows nothing about. And I, and I think that shows well to a captain. So if you are willing to make that initial step to get out of your comfort zone, to save up a little bit of money to work for free doing gear work for a little bit and, and to wait for that paycheck when the fish get on board, yeah, it shows a lot. Um, and, and I think that's the beginning of it. Um, everything else kind of falls into place. It fell into place for me 
uh, once the introduction was made. And um, and if you think you got it in you, there's only one way to find out if you do. You just got to go do it. No one's going to do it for you, and these opportunities aren't going to land on your lap. And there are plenty of fishing jobs. There really are. Um, it's really, you, you can't be too picky. I would advise to be careful what boat is asking you to join them. I mean, I've been offered jobs by captains who are cracking open 30 packs at 8 a.m. And you know what? That didn't seem very good to me. You know, um, safety is obviously a big thing and you want to keep yourself safe and you want to make sure you're getting on a safe boat. And, um, you know, you may not want to jump on the first boat you see. Always look at your surroundings and, and look at who you're dealing with and even if you get a bad initial vibe maybe keep moving but um definitely have your wits about you be willing to work hard and uh safety is the number one concern no matter where you go okay jesse that was pretty good man pretty good thank you thank you you uh you have any final words yeah well i'm looking forward to uh hearing all the the great guests you have coming up on the east coast uh it is kind of, of a battle, the... isn't it? We've had we've had all these guys from the West Coast. Yeah. And now uh, we're going to get a little East Coast version. Yeah, you know, and it's a different culture out here. Uh, different rules, a different mindset, um, and, and obviously a, di- a different culture. We share the same values, obviously, and I think there's a lot of shared uh, experiences, but it's a whole new animal in the East Coast, you know, um, the fisheries, the choices. Um, yeah, it's just a whole new animal. And, and hopefully your listeners will get a chance to understand where we come from. You know, just like the West Coast guys were all foreign to us. We had no idea, you know, other than the TV show. Well, now maybe there's a chance to understand where we're coming from that isn't from Perfect Storm and Wicked Tuna and Goodwill Hunting, you know. <laughs> all great things. Mm-hmm. All great things. But all right, so um, uh, before we do go off, though, I want to, again, encourage uh, our listeners to like, subscribe, and leave a comment. Galley Stories, yeah. And, um, you know, and uh, Podbean is the app uh, that if you want to go straight to the... We actually have a Patreon account there, too. If you click on uh, the SOS, mm-hmm. so that's uh, Share Our Stories. Yes. Yeah, there's a link there now that to, our, to a Patreon account we just set up. If you really wanted to help us expand and go out to other areas to record stories, not not begging for anything here, just a supplement. But. Yeah, I mean, if you really do enjoy what you're hearing, I know I did. You know, that I, I've enjoyed hearing from quite a bit of everybody, and you get quite a bit of everyone. And uh, you know, even from the East Coast here, we're going to. Oh, find. I'm going to have you tell the story. What's up? You listen to Muncie. Yes. Talk about. Flaking. Flaking. Yeah. Now let's hear this story. So he, he listened to an episode of Muncie. Yeah. And Muncie is talking about uh, gillnetting here on the East Coast, which is even way different than gillnetting on the West Coast because it's, it's doing way down deep and you're setting multiple uh, nets up at once. And um, he was talking about flaking the net. And prior to hearing that episode with Muncie, I was out in the lobster boat and I'm trying, I'm hauling gear, which means I'm stacking the gear as they're coming up. And uh, I'm grabbing the pot, and I'm ready to go. And he goes, no, go, it's okay, it's okay, I flaked it for you. And I'm looking at him, like, and I don't want to be stupid, I don't want to look stupid. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay, good, yeah, okay. And I ran the pot back. So what he meant by that was he 
took some coil from the line. He spread it out so I would have room to to run the gear back. We're talking about long lining pots, so. And you ran it back fast, right? Yeah. And what did he say to that? Uh, he was like, what are you doing? He's like, yeah, I'm cocaine or something. I was like, this is what you want? He goes, yeah, i just never seen it before. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, the terminology, which coming from the East Coast, I hadn't done any real commercial fishing out here. I went mean, on my buddy's dragger a couple times, but to hear Flake in the net. And then, and then when I hear Muncie's story, oh, okay, that's what he was talking about. So yeah, and, and but you find that everywhere. I mean, even if you go to if you're dungy fishing in California, compared to Oregon and Washington, everyone's got their own little terms and things. Like you'd be from California, go to Washington, not know what the guy is in it Washington. Is a buoy or a bumper? You know, oh, a, a bag. Yeah, <laughs> you know, bag give, give me the bag. Give me the bag. What do you mean the buoy? Yeah. So yeah, there, there's the terms are are interesting, and then the knots. Every captain's got his own knot. That's another th- the piece of advice I'd like to give to people coming into it. Um, you may think you know how to some how something works. Like you may think, okay, well, I I I'm gonna do a barrel knot on tying shots together or something like that. That's not everyone's program. The captain's program is the program, and and I found you know even if you are a repeat offender and you you're out on another fishery that you know but a different captain, you can't really go in there with the mindset of the last captain, the last boat. You really just have to come into it as a greenhorn and and understand what they're looking for because they're not trying to learn a better method with the years they have on them. They don't want to hear it from a new yeah, guy either. Yeah. So that's another piece of advice. Take everything you already know and throw it out the window. Uh, take your skill sets with you, obviously. You're not tying skills and your seamanship. But uh, other than that, be completely open-minded because every captain's different, every program's different, every knot is different. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Well, thanks again, guys, for tuning in to another installment. And that is all for you, Jesse. Yeah, yeah. I uh, hope everyone uh, listens and shares and likes and, and comments and uh, keep this show going because – as some of these guys get older, we're not going to get another chance to hear them again. And uh, this is a great way to catalog the life and culture, uh, past, present, and future of, of how people are living at sea. I can't even say anything else. We'll see you guys next time.